and probably will continue throughout the remaining weeks of Lent. I invite you now to turn in your blue hymnal, uh, the hymnal worship book, to uh, number 144, Kyrie. We will be using that as a closing hymn to the sermon. Um, so you can keep your finger in that now so that you can easily access that, access that when the time comes for us to sing that following the sermon. That's 144 in the hymnal worship book. And I invite you to pray with me. Let's pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. For 75 years, Abraham had waited. He waited for a son, a child, to be his heir. Without someone to pass along the family inheritance, everything in this world seemed fruitless to Abraham. A son would definitely carry on the family name, but it was so much more than that. A son would carry on the history of the family. The future became more clear and more welcoming, thinking about having a child to carry on Abraham and Sarah's legacy. A child would embody hope, an opportunity for future generations. Now, you know, Abraham hadn't asked for much in his life. In fact, he did pretty much everything what God had asked him to do. He had left his homeland, his people. He packed up everything he had to follow God's call to lead a new generation of people. And I would guess at any age, but especially at age 75 or later, this is no easy task. Because of famine, Abraham traveled down to Egypt Because of fear of his own death, Abraham, well, he did lie about Sarah being his sister. But he later rescued Lot from four kings who had captured him. He made promises to God to keep his word. And he gave a tenth of everything he had to God. Getting too old for all of this adventure and tired of being a high plains drifter, he settled down for a time on the plains of Sheva still keeping watch and holding on to the promise of his God. Searching his inner soul, wondering if this whole God thing was just a sham or a hoax, something he fell for that just gave him hope, but in reality had given him little, except a lot of travel, some intense adventure, and a whole lot of dusty air to breathe. God didn't seem so close to Abraham after all. How on earth would God's promises of the covenant of a new people to lead, how on earth was this to be without a child? Had Abraham fallen for the cruelest hoax of life? The Lenten journey is a time to look at our own journey, a time to look into our souls, a time to look deeply, to understand the depths of our lives in ways that sometimes we quickly push aside. Some of the realities 
are our fears, including the fear of the many uncertainties over which we really have no control. We live knowing our own limitations, yet with a God whose providence cannot be limited, well, that results in hope, but yet still uncertainty. How will God work? When will God work? Will God work? These are the questions Abraham had asked. It is the question that many of us ask. And these are the questions that we are invited to ask this Lenten season through the text offered to us today. What do we fear? Of what must we let go? What are your deepest fears, your deepest disappointments, your strongest enemies? How do we face them when God feels so distant, so far off, as though God has forgotten us, let alone our desires? We long for a sign from God, an assurance of God's promises in our lives, and yet we seem so overwhelmed by the realities of this world that we want to crawl under the covers and just give up sometimes. We even want to laugh, perhaps sometimes, in the face of those who proudly proclaim Jesus is the light of the world if you only believe enough in him. Well, I believe. But sometimes I don't see it making a difference. And so we live with fear. Fear that God will not come through Fear that we will not make this month's rent or mortgage. Fear that the depression I'm in will never improve. Fear that my children will be rebellious and disrespectful. Fear that my job will be cut and I'll be unemployed. Fear that no one will like me if they really know who I am. Fear that I may never be successful in life. Fear that I won't be able to control my diet my addiction to alcohol, money, pornography, or painkillers. And yet today, we are invited into our fears. We are invited to take on our enemies because it is our experience of fear that we find hope. Samuel Roberts writes, It is precisely in the face of human fears that human hope seems necessary. And it's this undeniable link between hope and fear that William Cowper's adage seems so true. He wrote, he has not hope who never had a fear. But having hope isn't easy, especially when the world is crashing in on you. Having hope doesn't pay the bills or lift the depression. Abraham was distressed, greatly distressed by God's promise and seemingly lack of action. He asked God to just explain a little bit further. Now, how was this going to happen, God? But God's words still seemed impossible to him. So Abraham pushed God a little bit more. He questioned him. He desired answers. He wouldn't let God off the hook so easily. And yet, Abraham remained hopeful. Even if only by a tiny string, his questions were that sign of hope. 
And it wasn't until the sun was going down in verse 12 of chapter 15, and Abraham was overwhelmed by, I love this phrase, a terrifying darkness. It was only when he was overwhelmed by this terrifying darkness that God's assurance really came to him. It was in the terrifying darkness that Abraham felt the full presence of God. In fact, both divine promises that are made throughout chapter 15 are made in the darkness. Not our typical images of the burning bush or the blinding light on the road to Damascus or the angelic glow from a messenger of God. Abraham experienced God's presence in the midst of terrifying darkness. So finally, God came to Abraham in a vision with a promise that he would have a son who would be his heir, who would come from his own body, more than the promise of the covenant, more than the promise of the new land, more than the promise of prosperity and protection, the promise of of a son bolstered his hopes and renewed his energy and strength. The promise of all promises would be a son that would be born from the body of a man and a woman who were past the age of childbirth. If God could lead him to a land that he could not imagine and give him a people who were not yet in existence, God perhaps could give him a child that he did not have. And so the issue of the first section of chapter 15 of Genesis is really an issue of faith. There's a problem, a fear, an anxiety, a doubt, which is assumed at the very outset. Because otherwise, there would be no reason for reassurance. So Abraham at first challenges God, finding the promise difficult to accept. I mean, after all, he is in his late 70s, and he has not had any children. Belief here does not refer to a single act or experience, but to a continuous response by Abraham. There is no indication of what in particular Abraham did that God took to be faith. The account at this point reports no words at all. Could that be it? Could faith be found in the silent acceptance of the divine promise? Yet even as one who is deemed faithful, Abraham still expressed to God his doubts and questions. Once again this week, we turn on the news and we hear of politicians who lied or betrayed loved ones. We learn of people who embezzled money. We ourselves may have needed to deal with broken relationships or personal disappointments. We hear the warnings of terrorist threats every time we get into an airport. And we wonder, how is it that we live in a world with such dishonesty and fear? In whom do we trust? Can we trust? Or does trust just lead to disappointment and more hurt? As part of the four texts that we receive each week as the lectionary offers us, I typically read over the psalm that is part of the collection. But I rarely have preached on it. But today's psalm, Psalm 27, and I invite you to turn to it, Psalm 27 struck me so profoundly when I read it. Psalm 27 shows us the human reality of fluctuating between deep faith in God 
and the reality of a world in which we can feel abandoned, let down, disappointed, forgotten, or at the very least, ignored. Even though our lives are at different points, Psalm 27 offers a slight sense of hope while embracing the reality of human fear and pain. It is a psalm that all of us can say, now this psalm, this is the real stuff. This is not some happy-go-lucky, quick Christian solution to the problems of the world. This is what it is like to really live. While many of us sit here on Sunday mornings and seemingly appear as though our lives are all together and pain is far from our lives, we too can identify to Abraham, who wanted to lash out at God and say, This wasn't what you promised me, God. We sometimes wear masks that at times are appropriate to have on. But at times, don't allow God to reach into the pain. Those moments, those masks, can be overwhelming. They can feel like a dark, deep pit and can be paralyzing. This is my sad lamp. Like many people, I suffer from sad. Seasonal affective disorder. Some people call it the winter blues. Some people call it the how much longer till we get to spring. And the psychiatrists call it sad. Seasonal affective disorder. Whatever, it's the darkness and the cold of winter that causes a lot of people to go through the winter months with a little less energy, a little less enthusiasm, a sense of seasonal depression. So after struggling with this for about five or six years pretty intensely, last year I decided I was going to do some research. And so I hopped on the internet, and I consulted with two of, I was going to say family doctors. They are family doctors, but they are my family's doctors. And I checked with them about the possibility or the reality that a sad lamp might help me. I bought it last year, and I love it. Every morning, I sit down in front of my computer after taking my shower with my robe on, and I turn on my computer, and right behind my monitor is my sad lamp. And I turn it on, and for the next 20 to 30 minutes as I'm working on my computer, I feel like I'm at the beach. The light is so warm and bright. What a welcoming way to start a typically dark morning. The light from the lamp gives me comfort. It brings me warmth, and it also apparently works with my own serotonin levels and therefore lifts my mood and gives me energy. But it doesn't solve everything for me. It isn't a panacea. There are days that I actually forget to sit down in front of the lamp, or there are mornings that I don't have time to take the suggested 20 to 30 minutes that you should have of lamp time. There are times that I want to embrace 
the dark and huddle under the comfort of my warm comforter and stay nestled in that cocoon of my bed. Now these times to some may sound like depression, and on some days maybe that's true. But they are also days that I am reminded of the psalmist who says in verse 5 of, chapter, of Psalm 27, For God will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. God will conceal me under the cover of his tent. Even in the lightless comfort of my bed, God is assuring me of God's presence, and I can feel it in its warmth of the covers. It's inviting. The sunlight is not my only sense of energy and survival. Rather, it is God. It's not always easy to find God in the opaque corners of our lives. It's the ongoing struggle to have faith that God is there, even if we don't feel the presence of God. And yet, as Lindsay Armstrong wrote, in this psalm, as in life, both faith and fear are unavoidable, perhaps unexpectedly, both also essential. Vigorous faith and animated doubt both insist that we take God seriously, ask God real questions, and depend upon God in tangible ways. End of quote. My source of strength does not come from my sun lamp in the long days of February, but it can help but it can't be all. I still fear, fear that the winter blues hit the hardest and that the day will come that the lamp will offer no help. But in those days, I rest assured in my minimal faith that I can, as the psalmist says, lift my head up above my enemies. And yet faith is not always an easy answer. There are days that our faith is not enough. Our enemies, whatever they are, for each of us it's different, feel incredibly powerful and feel incredibly powerless. This psalm is not an easy answer to show us how God answers prayers if only we ask. Richard C. Stern writes, This psalm is a prayer, even a plea, for patience, for trust, for the ability and the endurance to wait for the Lord, even when there is no sign that prayers may be answered, when the Lord's arrival is a long, undetermined way off. And so we commit our fears to the Lord with faith, hoping and waiting that the time will come when God will be in a warm and shining light. Or perhaps God will bring us comfort in the darkness and the serenity of a relaxing, cool summer evening after the sun has set. And in the meantime, the psalmist reminds us that there is no other hope, no other panacea, no other guaranteed recourse to remedy life's difficult passages. But there is community to walk with us through the difficult times, to hold us up when we cannot walk alone, to bring us food when we are too weak or poor to feed ourselves, to pray for us when we cannot find the words. But there is none other to defend us, to defend us against our enemies but God. We cannot do this alone. 
instead of garnering all of our energy to fight the battles of depression or the battles of addiction or the battles of self-esteem or the battles of anxiety or financial woes or whatever it is that you battle, instead of battling these enemies alone, we must have faith that God alone will be our stronghold. No one else need fight for us. But this is so much easier said than done. Just ask Abraham, who had a plan B when God's promise of countless heirs still wasn't coming through. He decided to have a son of his own with his slave, Hagar. How many of us have relied on our backup plans? On the surface, it's saying that we really do believe in God's care for us, but cunningly, perhaps even just out of necessity, we go to plan B, just in case God doesn't come through. And yet, in the end, we know that our only hope is indeed in the Lord. And so we proclaim with the psalmist, Teach me your way, O Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. In the book, Mother Teresa, Come Be My Light, Mother Teresa's private writings become evident to the reader that she felt the pain of God's absence from her soul for many, many decades of her life. But that pain, that separation, did not affect her faith or how she lived out her faith. And so our Lenten walk may feel as though it is in a terrifying darkness, as Abraham experienced. We may search for the light, hoping to flick on that light switch that will fill our hearts, minds, and faith with an overwhelming sense of hope and comfort. But the reality is, it is in the shadows that we sometimes find God. And it is in the shadow of the cross at the end of this Lenten journey that we will find our true hope. It is in the shadows of life that we often find the energy we had no idea we had. It is in the opaqueness of life that we sense the comforting hand of God. And it is sometimes under the cover of darkness that our God's presence is made brilliantly real to us. So do not be afraid of the darkness. Do not hide from God in the times of gray, waiting for the Lord. Be strong. Wait for the Lord. And let your heart take courage. Amen.